0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power, Parsha Monday, February 21st, 2022. All right, my friends, this is a very special event. A ve- Well, not event, this is a very special day and conversation because, like we always have on Mondays, we begin a brand, brand new Torah portion, brand new parsha. This week's parasha is... VaYakel, and there is so much to talk about. All right, I am getting my screen ready. Let me hear what's going on here. Ah, VaYakel. So just to give you a little quick background, I know we all know this, but just to kind of get a rolling start, the last, well, mm, the last few Torah portions, the last three Torah portions were primarily the conversation between God and Moses about what God wants us to build. God tells Moses, I want a Mishkan, I want a Mikdash, I want a temple, I want a sanctuary, I want a portable structure. This is what it should look like. This is what it should be built from. These are the materials. These are the people who should serve there. This is what they should wear. You get all the details, all the details, the nuts and bolts down to the very last socket and the very last peg and the very last hook of the curtains. Everything is specified. Everything is spelled out. But that was all. Between Mo- God and Moses. God told Moses the entire plan. Well, this week's Torah portion, Moses gathers the people, and Moses relates what God has told him to the people because the people are gonna have to make this into a reality. So let's read this inside. There's so much beauty, so much beauty in this um retelling of Moses to the people, which you'll see. All right, Torah portion is called Vayaka, Vayaka means end. He gathered or, and he, yeah, and he gathered, um, or he called them to assemble, the way it's translated here. Interesting translation. All right, let's jump in Exodus chapter 35, verse number one. Moses called the, the whole community of the children of Israel to assemble. Vayakal means, and he assembled or he gathered them together. Who? The entire community. Of the children of Israel. And he said to them. These are the things that the Lord commanded to make. In other words. This is the Mishkan. This is the project. The big huge tabernacle project. What's interesting. and What's absolutely compelling. Is that before he tells them about the Mishkan. He gives a preamble. And what's the preamble? Six days work may be done. You can work for six days. But on the seventh day, you shall have sanctity, a day of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever performs work thereon on this day shall be put to death. Verse 3. You shall not kindle fire in any of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. So understand this. It's actually shocking. Moses gathers the people. Yeah. And he tells them, This is what Hashem, what God Almighty has commanded me to tell you. And you think he's gonna say, We need a Mishkan, we need a mikdash, we need a sanctuary, we need a tabernacle, we need an ark and a menorah, and a showbread table, and an outer altar, and an inner altar, and and tapestries, and 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 curtains and walls, and wood, and gold, and silver, and copper. You think you launch into the whole spiel doesn't he launches into a conversation about shabbos the holy sabbath shabbat and the obvious question is why shabbat why shabbat why here what is going on what what is happening with shabbat why suddenly are we dealing with a conversation of shabbat first of all we already know about shabbat because it's one of the ten commandments was 10 commandments at Mount Sinai, which had already happened. Where we got commandment number four was about uh, keep the Sabbath day holy. So we already know this. And why if Moses is gathering the people to talk to them about the Mishkan, about the tabernacle, why does he feel like it's important to mention Shabbat? Well, there's an obvious answer. And the obvious answer is that he's telling them before they get started with this mission, before they get started on this job, before they build a Mishkan, before they build a tabernacle, here's what you need to know. As important as this project is, you're going to stop on Shabbos. You don't make this on Shabbos. You don't build even God's home, as important as it is, not on Shabbos. In other words, you might think. That when do you need to stop working on Shabbos? That's if you're doing mundane work. You know, if I go to work and I'm an accountant, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a, you know, I'm a businessman, I'm a businesswoman. If that's what I do, then maybe I should stop on Shabbos. Well, maybe not a doctor. You got to save lives even on Shabbos. But if I do mundane work, then it makes sense to stop on Shabbos. But if I'm building God's home, I'm building God's home. I'm building a mishkan. I should stop on Shabbos. It's a holy day. I'm building holy things. What do you mean? I'm building holy things. Moshe says, before we get started, before I tell you anything, before I mention any iota of the Mishkan, here's what you need to know. Not on Shabbos. Not doing it on Shabbos. And the message is, no matter how holy the Mishkan is, Shabbos overrides. The sanctity of Shabbos is even more important even building god's home on earth is superseded by shabbat a day of rest because my friends that's the message of shabbat six days a week we're building we're creating and of course we're making god's home we're still building the temple all six days of the week that's what we're doing You think we're just going to work to earn money no we're transforming this world into a holy place but on shabbat we don't transform on shabbat we uncover the beauty that's already there. So six days a week, we build, we create, we manufacture, we superimpose holiness on the landscape of our mundane environment. And on Shabbat, we don't superimpose. We allow the beauty, the inner beauty, to blossom to come out. We're open to seeing the inherent beauty of the world and not have the need or feel the need to impose beauty upon the world. I hope that makes sense. We're not manufacturing holiness. We're allowing the holiness, the inner holiness to come out. So thus God, Moses says to the people, before I tell you any details about what we're going to build, you need to know that you're not going to do it on Shabbat. It's a very important lesson in life. This is true with building a Mishkan, let alone with the work that we do on a regular basis. If the Jews in the desert we're able to stop or we're we're obligated to stop building a home for God, building a temple on Shabbat. Certainly you and I can take a break from emails and phone calls and deadlines and and clients for 24 hours. It's, it definitely can be done. All right, back inside. I hope that made sense back inside. Let's continue with the Torah portion. Um, And Moses spoke to the entire, by the way, I should mention the one example of work that's brought here is about kindling fire. There are 39 categories of work that are prohibited on Shabbat, 39 general categories. They're known as the Lamites, Avot, Melachot, 39 major categories of work, of labor, forbidden labor on Shabbat. Each of these 39 categories includes many subcategories and sub -sub subcategories, et cetera. So there's a lot of things that are included in these other categories. One of the 39 is kindling fire, which is which happens to be the only one that the Torah specifies right here, that Moses specifies to the people. Why fire? There's a lot of Talmudic and rabbinic discussion about why fire was pulled out from all the 39, why it was mentioned exclusively. It's kind of put out there on a pedestal. Suddenly, like, don't do fire. What about other things? What about uh, p- um, plowing and planting and winnowing and sifting and sorting and and um, writing and, and tying and all that stuff, all these other things are also prohibited. Why, why just kindling fire? Good, fine. So there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of rabbinic conversation about it, but there's also some mystical conversation about it. And again, the idea here is, kindling fire implies that you're trying to kindle a fire, trying to get something started. On Shabbos, the fire's already set. You don't need to kindle a fire. Going back to the way I explained it before, kindling fire means you're creating, you're creating inspiration in a spiritual sense. You're lighting the fire. You know when people say light the fire under, you know, got to light the fire under him. That means like got to inspire him. On Shabbos, the world is already on fire. The world is already inspired. The world is elevated. The world is uplifted. It's called Aliyah Ulamot. The worlds are uplifted. Malchut, the energy of cre- the divine energy of creation, ascends back up to its source. The world is on fire, no need to kindle your fire. On a practical note, if you do want a fire on on Shabbat, make sure you light it or you have it on from before Shabbat, whether it's an actual fire, or and be careful, obviously, with that, or whether it is a light or anything else that is electronic, make sure it's on from before Shabbat. That's a, just a public service announcement. All right, verse number four. And by the way, feel free to jump in with any questions or comments as we're going along. Actually, let me check in. Any questions or comments? thus far can you hear me i have one in the chat yes oh i didn't see it okay thank you for mentioning that perfect what about the beauty been from our study on jobs good transforming and definitely contributes building over yes 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 so studying torah praying spending time with family and friends and community and synagogue all that stuff is all about I would put that under the category of like cultivation, like cultivating, like bringing out the beauty that's already there, as opposed to um, um, as opposed to superimposing something. So I think maybe better than the English words that we can use, superimposing versus cultivating, it's probably more helpful to understand this using mystical terminology, Kabbalistic terminology. So Kabbalah says that in everything, everything that exists, there is a spark of holiness. There's God, divine sparks, godly sparks, that power that are embedded in everything in existence. And typically our job is throughout the week to access or to connect with things that we encounter, access the sparks, pull out the spark, separate the spark from the husk, if you will, and elevate it back up to holiness. So for example, when we eat, this is actually going to be in our meditation for Sinai course this week about the meditations of eating. So when we eat, right what's happening when we eat? We're not just you know eating, We're accessing the spiritual energy of the food, trying to separate it out from the physical indulgence so that we can, you know mindfully connect with the spiritual energy and not get overwhelmed by the physical experience and the physical sensation while eating and thus mindfully elevate the sparks of the of divine the divine sparks to a holy place that's the that's the, the that's eating on the weekday because it's about elevating sparks it's about transforming the world it's about separating but on Shabbos on shabbat i mentioned this before separating is forbidden it's one of the 39 categories you can't you can't you can't um, um separate the uh you can't have a mixture of things and sort them out and separate it. So you can't separate on Shabbat because you don't have to. On Shabbat, the overwhelming force within the food is the holiness, which means that we can eat and enjoy the food. And the physical sensation is also part of a holy experience. We don't have to elevate it because it's already elevated. On a very practical level, that means, or this is because eating on Shabbat is part of owning Shabbat, which is There's a mitzvah to enjoy Shabbat. And how do we enjoy Shabbat? One of the ways is by eating. So when we eat food that's enjoyable and we enjoy enjoy ourselves on on Shabbat, that itself is holy. It's not like we have to separate out the pleasure of the experience from the spirituality of the experience. The pleasure itself is spiritual or is holy. So that's just one small example. But yes, um, studying on Shabbat and, and praying on Shabbat and and the the meals that we eat on Shabbat, all of that would be um, it would be cultivating or tapping into the tap, tapping into the holiness of Shabbat. So it's less about creating something or changing something or sorting something, and it's more about enjoying the beauty that is. All right, I hope that answers or hope that addresses your question or your point. Okay, awesome. All right, let's go back inside and let's get to the details so that was the preamble here's about the mishkan but first a public service announcement about shabbat next and moses spoke to the entire community of the children of israel saying all right this is the second second round here we go this is the word that the lord has commanded to say take for yourselves an offering to the lord every generous hearted person shall bring it. In other words, everyone should donate toward this construction project. Everyone should donate toward the Mishkan. And every generous hearted person shall bring it, namely the Lord's offering consisting of gold, silver, and copper, and blue, purple, and crimson wool, and linen and goat hair, and ram skins dyed red, Tachash skins and acacia wood. Let's continue. And oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the incense, and shohem stones and filling stones, stones for the ephod and for the choshen. These are the items that need to be donated, that need to be collected. This is now. This is not God telling Moses. This is Moses telling the people that everyone who wishes to give. This is. This is the list. Of items that need to be donated, and by the way, by now because we've been studying together the last few weeks, we know what all this went for. The gold menorah, the altar cover, right? The altar, the uh, not the uh, not the altar, um, yeah, the inner altar, and the and the ark. So many things were made with gold. That's Some of them, silver sockets, and some of the pegs, copper. The outer altar was copper, and the mirrors. Uh, sorry, and the um, the wash basin was also copper, and the, what else was copper? Yeah, a few things were copper. The blue, pur- purple, and crimson wool, well, that was for the garments. Linen and goat hair, also for, what was that for? That was for the, the tapestries and the curtains. Ram skins dyed, dyed red, tachash skins, those were the coverings on top of the uh, Mishkan building. It was covered with with curtains, and then with animal skins. If you recall, there were multiple layers of, of coverings. Acacia wood, the walls of the Mishkan stood with acacia wood. Oil for lighting, you need oil for the menorah. Spices for the anointing oil to anoint all the vessels and the priests. And of course, you need spices for the incense that was burned in the inner altar. Shoham stones, that was for the high priest's uh, breastplate. Filling stones for the ephod, those were the two stones. Those are the two stones on the shoulders and for the kosher. All right, so in other words, what I'm just trying to point out is. That here's the list, and what's cool is that after after studying the last few weeks together, we know exactly what all of these items were used for, right? If we get the inventory of what was needed, we can assign it to the teams that need to work on various items. All right, you guys take this and make that. You know, we could be already uh, you know, running the show here on some level. Let's continue, verse 10. And every wise-hearted person, again, that beautiful expression, chacham lev, lev, wise-hearted, not only smart but emotionally attuned as well. and every heart, wise-hearted person among you shall come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. Moses is telling the people we need a few good men and women more than a few. We need men and women who have this ability to uh, to, to understand things and to feel things and to create this Mishkan. The mishkan and and what what has to be made. So now we're going to get the list. We got the list of items that need to be donated. Now here's the list of things that need to be created. You ready? Here we go. The mishkan. mishkan. The tabernacle itself. Its tent and its cover. Its clasps and its planks. Its bars, its pillars, and its sockets. Yeah, that's all the hardware. The ark and its poles. The Ark goes inside the Mishkan, right? Mishkan building, the Holy of Holies. The Ark and its poles, the Ark cover. And the screening dividing curtain that separates between the Holy of Holies and the Holies. The table and its poles and all its implements, the spoons and the showbread. And the menorah for lighting and its implements, like the scoops that they would clean out the menorah with. And its lamps and the oil for the lighting. And the altar, this is the inner altar, the golden altar, for incense and its poles. And the anointing oil and the incense and the screen of the entrance, for the entrance of the Mishkan. So again, we have here all the stuff pertaining to the building itself. I don't mean the creating of, I mean the, the actual structure, the building structure of the Mishkan. You have the inner altar and its poles and the oil and the incense and the screen, that's the screen, that's the doorway, if you will, that separates, that, 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 that marks, that heralds the entrance to that Mishkan building. Well, moving outside the building into the open courtyard area, we have the outer altar, the altar for the burnt offering, those are for the animal offerings. It's copper grating, it's poles and all its implements. And then of course, right next door to that was the washstand and its base. And don't forget, we need the hangings of the courtyard. That Remember, there was like a linen, uh, linen curtain, divider, fabric, linen that went all around the perimeter, 150 feet by 75 feet, right? Went all around the perimeter. The hangings of the courtyard, its pillars, there were pillars that it, it hung on, and its sockets, and the screen of the gate of the courtyard that was the outer entrance of the courtyard. And of course, don't forget back to the building, the pegs of the Mishkan and the pegs of the courtyard and their ropes. Oh, this reminds me. I think we saw a picture a few weeks ago. Remember it looked like a tent? It there were um ropes that yeah, were Yeah. 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 Remember I think Sarah, I think you pointed that out, right?
1: Yeah, I was I was wondering.
0: Yeah. So here we have it clear. There were pegs, right? For the Mishkan and for the courtyard. And their ropes. And that implies, and I don't remember if it was spelled out specifically before. I feel like maybe we didn't. But here it's clear that there needed to be these supports with ropes that kind of just held everything down in place. You never know when a gust of wind is going to make things shake a little bit. All right, let's continue. What else has to be made? This is Moses telling the people, this is what we got to make, my friends. The meshwork garments. We got to make the clothing now to serve in the holy The holy garments for Aaron, the going Godal. That's the eight priests of the, uh, the, sorry, the eight garments of the high priest. And of course, the garments, the four garments of his sons in which to serve as Kohanim. Moses gave them the full list. He gave them the shopping list and he gave them the menu. He said, these are the ingredients that we need. And these are the dishes we're going to make. And I don't mean dishes. I mean (laughs) items. Right, we need gold, silver, copper, etc., and we need to build the Mishkan, the walls, the, the ark, the menorah, etc. He gave them the full scoop. And after hearing all of this, the entire community departed from before Moses, having heard the call. All right, this this ends reading one, which is perfect. We're gonna also do reading two in a moment. Let's toggle Rashi. Rashi disagrees with you.
2: Which part uh, about the mesh garments? He says those aren't for the for the Kohain. It's for the uh the cover of the the uh, Aaron and the Shulchan, uh and the Menorah and the Mizbeach at the time of departure. You are
0: right. You are right. The meshwork garments serve in the holy. Yes, correct. I missed that nuance. In other words, I read the holy garments and I I, I mush these two together. Correct. Thank you for pointing that out. The meshwork garments were the garments, were the covers for the ark. Each of the holy items had its own cover, almost like a bag, if you will. It had a cover. There were garments that covered the ark, that covered the table, that covered the menorah, that covered the altars, when they would leave for their travels. So when they were traveling, they didn't just carry it on their shoulders. They actually covered it, and then they transported it. By the way, you should know, this is something that's done even today when you transport a Torah scroll. Not when you take out the Torah scroll and, you know, for the reading, you just take it out and whatever. But if you're removing a Torah scroll from one location to the other, you would wrap it in a talis. You would wrap it in a talit, in a shawl, a prayer shawl, and then transport it from one place to the other. That's just the way it's done. Um, and so, yes, thank you, Mark, for pointing that out. Meshwork garments refers to the garments or to the garments, the, uh, the coverings for the holy items, for the, for the kelim, for the vessels. And then also the holy garments, the, the actual garments for Aaron and his children, etc. Okay, but let's go back and Rashi a little bit and see if there's something that we should add over here. I mentioned yep. about, about Shabbos. About about, oh, one second, one second. I'm not there yet. So not superseding. The Mishkan does not supersede the Sabbath that we spoke about before. Um, generous hearted. Okay, Mishkan, bottom curtains tent yes goat hair rams and skins. we got all that dividing curtain good showbread i already explained that it was called lechem Aparin because it had faces surfaces looking in both directions for it was made like the type of a box without a cover okay so there you go the showbread was in like i can was was made or baked there were molds it was kind of like a like a uh, parentheses holder and it was like open on various sides and that's what was called showbread. Implements, tons and scoops, lamps, okay, Are oil, lighting, yes.
2: For some reason, my translation doesn't call it showbread. They call it the bread of surfaces.
0: Right. Because that's really what it means.
2: Showbread uh,
0: doesn't really mean much. Showbread, like what does it mean that it's for a show? It's for people to look at. I mean, who's going to look at it? You had to be inside the holies to see it, the Kodesh, only Kohanim, only priests that were serving were allowed to step into that building, so the, 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 the majority of the people wouldn't see it so it's less showbread and more um, bread of multi-surface multi-surface bread sometimes it's called as well why was um, it made? sorry? why was it made that way? Torah says lechem Panim supposed to be made like that, I don't know that was the, that was the deal um. okay screens and gates okay we got it pegs oh let's do pegs and ropes we mentioned that before pegs Rashi says clearly the pegs were used to drive into the ground and to tie the ends of the curtains with them into the ground so that the curtains would not move with the wind there you go this is the Rashi that specifies what these pegs were for and the ropes the ropes were used to tie the curtains so you had the curtains with the ropes with the pegs and yeah who who knew jews know how to camp also all right uh reading number two reading number two so so far let me just pause here for a moment i know i keep on repeating this but i just want to make sure we have clarity so in the last few weeks god told moses what needs to be done we just read that moses told the people what needs to be done and by the way although the Torah didn't just specify the dimensions. At some point, Moses gave all the details with the dimensions, with the materials, with the exact protocol about how to do it and what to do, he delivered that to the people. The Torah though doesn't necessarily mention all of those details again in Moses transmission to the people. So he Moses told them what to what, what to do and the Torah gives, gives a general list of things, but certainly Moses gave them all the details. So now, We're into reading number two. Exodus chapter five, verse 21. So in response to the call of Moses, every man whose heart uplifted him came and everyone whose spirit inspired him, the generosity brought the offering of the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. So we had both volunteers to make stuff and volunteers to donate stuff. People were raising their hand to build, to create, to weave, to hammer, to manufacture, to cut, to shape, to all all that stuff. People were, were on board to make the stuff and people were on board to donate the various items, to donate the supplies. Both for the tent of meeting, that's the that's the building for all its service for the holy garments, etc. And here the the Torah specifies, Torah clarifies who came. The man came with the women. It was both men and women. Every it wasn't just the man, it wasn't just the women. Men and women came. Every generous-hearted person brought bracelets and earrings and rings and buckles. You can't not remember the golden calf from last week, right? When they when the men brought the jewelry and they made the golden calf, okay? That was negative donations, of donating to a negative cause. Now, truva, right? Coming full circle, repentance. Now we have this return. Now we have donations of jewelry, of gold, for a good purpose. Every generous-hearted person brought bracelets and earrings and rings and buckles, all kinds of golden objects, and every man who waved a waving of gold to the Lord. In other words, people brought gold. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, or crimson wool, linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, or tachash skins brought them tachash skins. Whoever happened to have tachash skins. You and I know that tachash was this miracle animal. According to some, this multicolored unicorn of uh, biblical times. The Tachash was not your everyday beast, not your everyday animal. And yet the Torah seems to imply that everyone with whom was found, Tachash skins brought them. If you had Tachash skins lying around, bring them. Of course, here it means probably they had to go and get the Tachash skins. Nonetheless, the point is that people responded to the call and everyone who set aside an offering of, yes, Ray, hold on. Don't forget to unmute. I just asked you to unmute. If you respond to that, you'll get it. Yes.
1: So, um, was it did um, did we not determine that that was a unicorn, a multicolored unicorn,
0: or no? According to one opinion, but there are many opinions about the tachash. The one that I love is the multicolored unicorn because how do you not love that opinion? That's like the best opinion ever, right? Just imagine the mishkan with the skin from a multicolored unicorn animal of, of, of miraculous proportions. I mean, like that's that's. It doesn't get any better than that, but there are other opinions. With all that being said, there's several. We had, we read a Chabad.org web um, uh, article that had like maybe five or six different opinions. And some of them were a little bit more standard. Some said it was like a regular animal, but I prefer the uh, multicolor unicorn. Yes, me too. (laughs) That's it. So that's what we, that's what we go with at DPP. Um, Yeah. Okay. So everyone who set aside an offering of silver or copper brought the offering to the Lord and everyone with whom acacia wood was found for any work of the service brought it. People brought what they had. Some people had gold, silver, copper. Some people had the, the, the animal skins or the animal hairs or the, the various wool materials. Some people had the acacia wood and every wise hearted woman spun with her hands, and they brought spun material, blue, purple, and crimson wool, and linen. Okay? The women, it seems, were um, are specifically mentioned here for the spinning of the wool and the linen. And all the women whose hearts uplifted them with wisdom spun the goat hair. Of course, as the Rebbe points out, in the Hebrew, it doesn't say hair. It says, tavu eze izim. They spun the goats. <laughs> According to our sages, what that means is that they actually created the wool whilst on top, while still connected to the goats. Are you with me on this? Oh dear! Can you imagine? Can you yeah. imagine? Rabbi, Rabbi no.
1: I put a Hebrew word in the chat. Could you please tell me what oh, that is?
0: For sure, for sure, for sure. Give me a second. Some mid. Oh, some mid are bracelets.
1: Yeah, that's in the Rashi, right? They, yeah, they gave the Hebrew name yeah, yeah.
0: some is a bracelet yeah so. one of the words for bracelet yeah so um now we know the hebrew word for the bracelets <laughs> <laughs> i
1: can call it that you know
0: it makes them mids action right
1: Good.
0: um so spun the goats not to spun the goat hair they spun the goat hair on top of the goats while still connected to the goats and the rebbe explains that why did they do that it was a very very seems like very random, very weird. Why would they do that? Because while still connected to the goats, the, the wool is that much softer and that much more beautiful. And so they did it in the best way. And the lesson that the rabbit learns from this is that when we're building a home for God, do it the best way. Don't look to cut corners. Don't look to cut the hair first and then spin it into wool. That's amateur hour. You got to do it in the best way, even if it's very complicated. You know, just a perspective on... You know, giving it our all and giving our best shot when it comes to building a home for Hashem. All right, let's continue.
2: Yeah. Actually, Rashi says the same thing that it was uh, says this was extraordinary craftsmanship where they would spin them from the from the fleece on the backs of the goats before it was shorn from them. Right. And I have a note from Shab- Shabos, whatever is that, Talmud or what?
0: Yeah, Talmud.
2: It says after it was it is shorn from the animal, goats' hair loses more and more of its luster each time it is handled. By combing and spinning the fleece while it was still growing, they were able to preserve much of the luster that would have otherwise been lost. There you go. Who who can even imagine
0: the luster, right? Imagine you're wearing um, what 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 things are made with wool? Let's say um, sweaters. A sweater. Thanks. Let's Pass. say let's say sweater. Let's say you're wearing a wool sweater on top of an on top of a goat talk about the luster can you imagine very awkward also i mean it's like we slip into my uh slip into my sweater you know on top of a goat here i'll come riding in a goat a little bit awkward the goat may not be so happy also no, i'm kidding obviously they cut the they cut it off of the goat and then they use the, the they use the, the wool the, the 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 goat hair to do whatever they needed but yeah the it's there's this luster there's this supple i don't know it's like it's Super fresh. It's pre-cut. It's great. Anyway, but the Rebbe explains what the what the Rebbe adds to this is. No, the Rebbe asked the question: Why they bother? Okay, I, Rashi, the Gemara says that that's what they did. But the question is why, and that's where the Rebbe comes in and says: Because when you build a home for God, do it the best way. Do it the best. Go, go all out, all out. Right? Just put all the goats on the table, and then just. Go, go nuts with the spinning of the of the goat here. That's the idea. All right, these women were the goats, the greatest of all time. You know, the goat is now like used to be goat. It was a negative term. Now it's like the greatest compliment. the goat. Oh, by the way, I was I was driving today on Cheshire Bridge Road and I see there used to be a baby shop there on Cheshire Bridge Road. It's like a street yes. here in Atlanta. and there's no baby shop anymore. Instead, it's a, I don't know what it is, but there's a big sign and it says the goat. And I was, I just saw it this morning, like a few hours ago, the goat. I'm like, what's the goat? I don't know. I have to look it up and see what the goat is, but it had dots. It was like an acronym. It was like the goat with period after the G-O-A-T. Is it the greatest of all time? Greatest of all time goat? I don't know. I'm not sure. But anyway, I digress. The women wanted to do... The, they wanted to create this material in the best way possible. and that's what they did. Back inside, let's jump back into the verses and then we're going to go back to Rashi. And the princes, and the seeum, the princes, the, the, the reps from each of the 12 tribes. What did they bring? They brought the Shoham stones. The 12 gems. I guess each tribe brought his stone. And they brought the filling stones for the ephod and for the choshen. And the spice and the oil for the lighting and for the anointing oil and the incense. All right, that's what they brought. Every man and woman whose heart inspired them to generosity. To bring for all the work that the Lord had commanded to make through Moses. The children of Israel brought a gift for the Lord. That's, uh, I wish the translation would have like made that sentence sound a little bit bit better. It's a little bit of a run-on. And it's based on the Hebrew, but the English could have done a better job over there. The bottom line is the end of the second reading summarizes that the people responded to God's call to the call of Moses. They responded with generosity. All who were inspired brought all of the items that were needed, as we'll see, not today, but as we'll see in the next day or so. The people not only brought, they brought so much that at some point Moses had to say, stop, we have enough. You, you got to stop bringing the gold. We don't, have, we, we, we don't have a use for it anymore. The people gave with such generosity. And according to the understanding that we have on this, part of that fervor of donating was due to the sin of the golden calf. They knew that they had messed up. They knew that they had crossed a major line. And to kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not recompense, to kind of when you compensate, to compensate, sort of, for the golden calf, they gave, 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 gave. This idea of tshuva, we mentioned this last night in our um, musical event, the idea of bouncing back from a negative place with an even greater energy to the positive place. The idea of tshuva is not just getting back to square one, but it's within a greater intensity. Because I was meandering in negativity, now I really want to reconnect. Because I had given, not I, but the person, because the person had given, perhaps, to the golden calf, now they're motivated to really give to the mishka. So that's a little bit of the tshuva angle on this. All right, let's go back inside. Let's let's uh, toggle some rashis. Let's see if we have some noteworthy rashis. Um, here we go. Uh, I don't see it in Rashi, but I'll tell you another interesting idea. It says the men came with the women. You know, when somebody, you say like, oh, can I go with you? The word with implies secondary and primary. In other words, there's a primary, and then there's the one who's coming with the other. You with me on this? Yeah. Yeah? Like, I'm going to the concert. Do you want to come with me? That implies I'm already going. And the question is, if you're going to come with me. So there's a primary and then a secondary or an old guard and new guard almost whatever. So here it says, the men came with the women in other words, the women were already donating. The men straggled along secondarily. Once again, we see that the women were always plugged in. They never went along with the golden calf. They never were part of the complaints. They, they, they donated generously to the Mishkan to what God really wanted and the men came with the women. So that's just a, a, a nuance that I think bears uh, mentioning. Um, bracelets, uh, bracelets, Sameed, as uh, Donna mentioned before. Buckles, okay, here we go. Every man with whom was found. Blue wool or purple wool or crimson wool. Okay, we got that before. Spun the goat's hair. Rashi from Shabbat. This constitutes a superior skill for the women spun it on the backs of the goats. Good. Now the prince has brought the stones. Look at this Rashi. Take a look. The prince is brought. Um, Rabbi Nathan said, this is from the Midrash. By the way, in case you're wondering, let me just pause for a moment. What's the difference between the Midrash and the Talmud? Yeah, sometimes you bring it from the Midrash and from the Talmud. Is there a difference? Do I have a course for you? Woo! I'm working on a new course now with JLI. I mean, I'm one of the editors on it. I'm not I'm not the writer. I'm one of the editors. It's called, where's my copy?
1: When is that going to be? It's not for another That's year, right? be
0: next year. Yeah, it's going to be next year. 2022, 23. It's called, well, it was called The People and the Books. Not the people of the book. The People and the Books Exploring the ca- Different Categories of Jewish scholarship, Torah, Midrash, Talmud, Halakha, Kabbalah. Like what, what is all this stuff? How do we organize it just so we know what a source means when we hear that source? And plus get a sample of each category of, of study. Um, but I saw in the latest draft, it was called the books and the people, not the people and the books, the books and the people. So I don't know what's going on. Anyway, be that as Yesterday it may.
1: was very nice production value. You know, the video. fantastic. Yeah. They did
0: a great job on that. I was, yeah, I was telling Leah afterwards, like, Phew, They really did a good job.
1: So that's like the first offering in their new, their new programming to not just have the, the typical courses we do, but to have more interactive event type programming.
0: They're trying to get into that space a little bit. Yeah. I mean, they picked the dandy time to, to get into events, <laughs> <laughs> bit of a challenging time right now, but it was, it was nice. Yeah, anyway, I, I yeah, I agree with you on the production. All right, back inside. Let's take a look at this Rashi. Look what Rashi says. Um, Rabbi Nathan said, what prompted the princes, the Nassim, the, the leaders of the tribes, to donate for the dedication of the altar first before the rest of the Israelites, while in contrast, they did not donate first for the work of the Mishkan? Let me explain. Let me explain. What we're talking about right now is the work of the Mishkan. That's, this is what we're talking about right now. The work of the Mishkan means building the Mishkan and the donation. And if you notice... The Torah tells us in this reading all of the stuff that people brought. They brought jewelry, they brought gold, silver, copper, they bought, brought the skins, blah, blah blah. And then at the end it says, oh, and by the way, the princes brought the stones, which implies they came last. After everyone gave, they came last. So that so here they donated last. When it came to the inaugura- the inauguration, the dedication of the altar, that's after fast forward maybe a year or several months, at least several months to when they finished building the Mishkan, they finished building the tabernacle and then they inaugurated and dedicated it. So then it says that the tribal leaders, these princes donated first, they jumped on the opportunity here. They, they jumped last and there they jumped later on. They jumped first. So Rabbi Natan says they learned their lesson. This is what the princes said. Here, in this case, let the community donate what they will donate and whatever they are missing, whatever is left to be donated, we will complete. In other words, the, 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 the leaders of the tribe said, we're going to let everybody else donate, the people, the peoples donate, and whatever is missing, we'll fill it in. Now, what happened? In reality, there was nothing missing. Since the community completed everything, as it says, and the work was sufficient, the princess says, "Oh, what are we to do? We thought that there was going to be more gold, silver, or copper to donate. They didn't realize that everyone's going to take care of the whole uh, the whole list. So they brought the Shoham stones, etc. They got the, they found something to donate after all the materials were donated. They're like, like, oh, okay, we can do the stones and the spices and the oil and whatever.' Therefore, they brought donations. Therefore, fast forty years. So when the Mishko was finally built, what they do?" They brought donations first for the dedication of the altar. Since that first they were lazy, in this case, i.e. they did not immediately donate, a letter is missing from their name. And vahannesim is written instead of vahannesim. There's a, a yod missing between the aleph and the mem. That yod is missing. See? Aleph mem over here. Aleph yod mem is the way it should be written. There's a letter missing. And that indicates that their lack of alacrity, what lack of alacrity, that's a good phrase, was held against them. Okay, I hope. Let me just say it in my own words, and then I want to ask a question and give an answer. Rashi quotes in the Medrash, says that the Nasiyim, the princes, didn't behave nicely. Instead of donating to the Mishkan, they held back and they said, You know what? Let everyone go first, and then we'll fill it in. And then they panicked. oh, everything was donated until they found the stones and the this and the, that. Not, not everything was donated, but they, they found what to donate. But this wasn't good behavior. And that's why there's a letter missing from their name. The question is, that's what Rashi says, quoting the midrash. Here's my question. What's wrong with waiting? What's wrong? They, they wanted to let the people go first. They wanted to give the people a chance to participate in the building of the Mishkan. What's wrong with that? What, the leadership should have taken, should have taken um, control over the project and not let the people participate? It seems like they did a good thing, not a bad thing. Let the people give, and then we'll step in. What's wrong? You want the leadership, you know, grabbing everything first? Then it leaves no room for the people. So what's wrong? The Reb explains, doesn't mean that they should have grabbed everything. But they should have been the first in line. You know why? Because if it's important, if it's important, it's important for the leaders also. And if it's important for the leaders, the leaders should set the example of how important it is for the people. In other words, the role of a leader is not to step back and say, you guys do it. It's not real leadership. Leadership is, this is important. I'm in line at the front of the line and follow my lead as well. Not to take, not to max out the donations and not leave anyone uh, with with any space left. Obviously not. Give room for everyone else. But to be the first one to donate an earring, a piece of jewelry, some gold, whatever it is, be the first to donate. That's the rule of that's the role of a leader. It, it's there's a I have so many examples in my head within leadership of the different roles. Like on the one hand, you want to like uh, give space to others. On the other hand, that's on the one hand. On the other hand, to be a leader means that you're you're setting, setting a path. And setting a path means that you initiate. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about this, but that's the Rebbe's insight. They should have given first and demonstrated through their actions how precious is the mitzvah to donate to Hashem's building, to building a home for Hashem. All right, that takes us to the end of the second reading. Um, Thank you for joining me today. A few um, takeaways. What are some practical takeaways? Um, See if we can recall. Number one, as important as all of our jobs are, including if our job is to literally build the Mishkan, Shabbos is Shabbos. We don't mess with Shabbos. We don't need to build on Shabbos. Don't need to create. Shabbos, it's all good. It's all good. Right? We indulge in I'm sorry. Yes, and Yes, no, go ahead.
1: We're always building a home for God 24-7. <laughs> we are.
0: Building we are. a home, right. <laughs> we are, we are. But on Shabbos, we're not building, oh. we're enjoying. Right. Okay. We're not creating it. We're we're basking in the beauty of the home that already is there. Right. It's like Shabbos is a mini Mashiach. What's Mashiach? Mashiach is when the world is perfected. Shabbos, we live as if the world is perfect. So we're not creating the perfection. We're enjoying its inner perfection. So that's the importance of Shabbos. Um, we also spoke about, just quickly to recap, we spoke about... Spoke about wise-hearted people being involved. We spoke about the generosity of the donations and how the women were the, the core donators and then the men were part of that as well. We spoke about how, them, how the tribal leaders should have taken more of a leadership role in that and not just held back. Um, and we spoke about doing things the best way. The women spun the goats. It's important to do to build a home for God in the best way possible, not not the easiest way out, but the best way. All right, my friends, we got our marching orders. Got to build a home for God in the best way, my friends. Spin those goats, spin those goats. Whatever that means for us. Okay, tonight, don't forget. After the fire, exclusive Zoom event starting at seven thirty. Join me tonight, register for the Zoom link, in intownjewishacademy.org slash mensch, M-E-N-S-C-H, I believe is the link. That's number one. Number two, we have this week, JLI, Tuesday and Thursday, Torah Studies Wednesday. What else do we have? Hold on, let me quickly pull up the website because I know we definitely have a lot of cool stuff coming up. We have... We have book club this Sunday. We have some Purim classes coming up behind the mask and Purim boot camp. We have a new course starting up called "You Be the Judge." It's not yet on the website, but take a look; it's going up soon. "You Be the Judge." It's starting in a few at weeks. the end
1: of the end of the meditation.
0: Class. Exactly. Right after meditation, a week later, we're starting this. New it's series. like the
1: show bread bread. No, you know the table. No time off. Con- you know what I mean? There's no we slide
0: one off and then right. slides on right off. Class
1: ends and another begins.
0: Exactly. We're and doing don't forget, it-
1: yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: No, you go ahead. Jump uh, in.
1: Sunday, Atlanta Jewish Life Festival.
0: Atlanta the Jewish Life Festival, <laughs> the Sunday, yes, before the book club. Yes, good. Go and uh, Donna will be there. We also have Mitzvah Day coming up in March. Check the date, March 20th. Um, we have a conscious parenting masterclass with Rabbi Elio and Dina Schusterman and uh yeah that's all that's on the website right now okay just not you be the judge we've got to get that on we've got to clean clean up some mold stuff all right cool i'm just making notes for myself all right great to see everyone want to wish everybody a wonderful day and we'll see you all hopefully a little bit later take care
1: uh, Bye. Thank all. You,